Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, today we are wrapping up our, our series of Believe, and uh, many, many people have been in, involved in that and talking about our beliefs. It's also Palm Sunday, and it's very interesting. I don't know if those of you have seen the news. Um, what we believe matters, impacts our world. Uh, there have been two churches in Egypt bombed today, churches. Um, those people, uh, it's, it's tragic. But at the same time, what we know is their, their belief in eternity means at least there is a hope there that many others do not have. So that's why it's good that we're ending on this, talking about eternity today, and especially looking, looking ahead to Easter. There were some three friends hanging out one day, and somehow they, they started talking about death. And uh, one of the friends asked, you know, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? And one of the friends said, well, I'd love for people to say he was, he was a great humanitarian who really cared about his community. Another of the friends said, well, I'd love people to say he was, he was a wonderful husband and father, a great example for, for many to follow. And the third friend, he, thinking about it a little bit, finally said, you know, I guess I'd hope someone would say, look, he's moving. <laughs> I mean, as much as we all like the idea of heaven, m- many aren't sure they want to go anytime soon. Uh, there are a lot of stereotypes about heaven, often things like we're going to float around on clouds, strumming harps, singing all the time. Uh, maybe some of you remember some of the, those cartoons growing up there, maybe a little before some of your times. You know, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Tom and Jerry, and there will be cartoons when, when they die, they're depicted with this character sprouting wings and a halo and drifting up into the sky, or... Or growing horns, turning red, and sprouting a pointy tail. But are either of those kinds of images accurate? That leads us really to our key question today. What happens when we die? What happens next? And it's really an important question because we don't know what's going to happen in terms of our day-to-day life. A century ago... people fairly, fairly routinely experienced death around them. It was a much more natural part of, of life because of, because of shorter lifespans, the nature of health care, because of extended families living together. But now we, we see whole industries have, have come into being to try to hide death or at least delay it as the march toward death as much as possible. And yet the statistics on death remain constant. A hundred out of a hundred people die. It doesn't change. And so in this series, we've been exploring fundamental Christian beliefs because our beliefs have consequences. And nowhere is that more evident than in our beliefs about what happens next, when we die. Is death something to be feared, to be fought at all costs? Is any existence better than no existence at all? Is there no hope or future? Our key verse, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, 
what I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Some of you know Jesus said this to his disciples on his last night here on earth, on that Thursday night. And um, uh, it lines up with what is happening this coming Thursday night. That Those are the same in terms of the dates, the days. And he shared with his friends a last meal, the last supper in the upper room. And we will be offering communion as a part of our Good Friday service here at 7 o'clock on Friday evening right in this space. Jesus knew in, in hours that he would be hanging on the cross. And a few hours after that, he'd be dead. He knew that this would blow his followers out of the water because they didn't understand what kind of Messiah, what kind of Savior he really was. They kept expecting someone to come along and to liberate them from their political enemies, the Romans. But Jesus had come to liberate them and us from a much bigger enemy, death and sin. And Jesus knew that death did not have the final word over him. And it wouldn't have the final word over his followers. In fact, Jesus, in that passage, and John uses a, a common wedding metaphor of their day and time in, 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 in that scripture that I just read to you. But most of us, it, doesn't, it probably doesn't click because it's not a part of our culture and our practices today. But in Jesus' time, when a couple was, was engaged or betrothed to be married, when it was getting close to the time of the wedding, the man would go off and build a home for his new bride. Now, what was common, especially if they were from a, a they were limited in financial means, is they would go and they would build a room onto the father's house. Build a room so that there would be a place, or sometimes there would be a compound with several generations of homes built there. And once he'd finished building the room, he would gather together friends and family, and they would begin this big wedding procession from the father's house to the bride's house where they, the bride would then come out to meet her husband and they would return to their new home where there would be a big wedding, a big celebration with, with food and activities and festivities. And maybe a little bit we're doing that even today, food and festivities for the kids outside. Now, the, the disciples don't understand. They're not seeing this connection yet. But Jesus is assuring them that when he dies and goes away, he's not going away for good. He's not going away forever. He will one day return. He will take us, his church, to his home where there will be this huge party. Jesus told other wedding-themed parables. It's very interesting because he refers to the church as his bride and the New Testament talks about it that way. It points to the importance of, of always being ready and prepared for the return of the groom. That when the groom comes, we, we don't necessarily know. Because those who aren't prepared, Jesus told the, 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 the parable of the ten maidens who weren't. Some of them were prepared, some of them weren't. And those who were prepared got to go and join in the celebration and go to the wedding feast. But those who were not missed out. Key idea then today is I believe there is a heaven and a hell and that Jesus will return to judge all people and to establish his eternal kingdom. 
And this, this idea is found throughout Scripture, more in the New Testament than the Old Testament, but found throughout. In, and in our Believe book, there are some great Scripture readings in there uh, about that, if you want to dig in, if you haven't read that already. But this morning, I just want to look at some passages in First and Second Corinthians to give us a better picture of what happens next. In, in, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. The Apostle Paul here is talking about the body, our bodies, yours body, my body. And he uses the metaphor of an earthly tent. And think about a tent. A tent is something flimsy. It's something portable. It's something for a time. Most of us would not think, we want to live the rest of our lives in a tent. A tent is only something you pull out for short periods of time. He says he uses that image to picture our present physical bodies. And then he talks about something permanent after we die, a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself. An eternal body means a body that lasts forever. Eternity means infinite, infinite time uh, to describe a life that doesn't end. But if it's more of this life with its hurts, with its increasing ailments and, and struggles, that some would call maybe more of an eternal prison so Paul acknowledges that these present bodies are not going to cut it and, and tells us we'll receive an eternal body made for us by God. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies for just as there are natural bodies. There are also spiritual bodies. This resurrected, this eternal body is what, what Jesus revealed on Easter. When he came out of the tomb, this, this, eternal, this eternal body, this resurrection body, and what he promises to all who put our faith in him. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. It, it, it may even be, I mean, think about this. And for some of you, you, you may think about this more than, than others. But it may be that the aging of our bodies is a way that God points us to the eternal. I've, I've had the privilege of being at the bedside of, of followers of Christ whose bodies have been worn down by, by decades of, of wear or, or debilitating disease. And yet, in, in Christ followers, different from those who really are not committed to their faith, in Christ followers, I, I, what I observe is not fear. Not fear, but a sense of welcoming whatever God has in store for them beyond this thing called death. When my mother, I mean, she was a, a wonderful woman of faith, Died a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I, miss, I still miss her. And, and I knew 
as we were entering those last months and weeks and days that I would miss her. But I knew that my mother, my mother who had taken me to church as a child, my mother who had been such a witness to me of the love of God, my mother looked forward to shedding her, her, her ailing body that was breaking down, that was failing her, that was preventing her, this vibrant woman of my childhood, from being all that she wanted to be, that she could be. And I knew she was okay with that, where she was going, and so was I. Because I knew <laughs> this wasn't the end. It was a see you later kind of thing. The Bible says we grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Now, Paul is talking about our resurrection of spiritual bodies, like we saw with Jesus, a, a real body that we, we won't receive this at our death, but at the final resurrection. And, and by the way, I'll just disappoint a few of you, but just so we're clear, we don't become angels when we die. I, I believed that for a long time. I, I had that image in my mind. But, but the Bible teaches us that angels are actually a whole different created being. And, and we don't transform into a different being. It's generally believed that at our death, we, we enter a, a spiritual realm, if you will, where the souls of those who put their faith in Christ come home to God, and we remain in that spiritual state until Jesus returns, and, and at that point, all then are resurrected. Jesus alone has been resurrected. For the rest of us, when we die, we enter into a, a spiritual state. In, in Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, Jesus told the story of a rich man who, who cared only about himself and about a poor man of faith, a poor man who, who was also faithful, named Lazarus. And, and in the story, Jesus said, both die. But before the time of the resurrection, this occurs. And he tells us that, that Lazarus ends up with Abraham, the patriarch, the father of, of the Jewish faith, a, a man of faith. And the rich man ends up in what Scripture calls Hades, a place, it says, of torment. And we're talking about here some form of hell. And, and, and not what's called purgatory. Because Jesus is clear that there is no crossing after we die from one place to the other. Souls remain there until the resurrection when all then face a final judgment. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. In other words, there's a, there's a division in the spiritual realm after death. And that division is becomes permanent at the resurrection when we receive our resurrection bodies. Those of faith will remain with God. But those who never chose faith, though it was freely offered, are left out. I mean, this is really important. And, and it's why our decisions matter today and not waiting until someday in the future because none of us can, 
can predict the future. None of us knows what's going to happen at any time. But at the final resurrection, those who have placed their faith in Christ won't experience this dreamy, soul-only eternity. But the Bible is clear that there's going to be then a new heaven and a new earth that we will inhabit with our resurrection bodies. In Revelation 21, it says, John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea also was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride here, see that, see that imagery again? Like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We'll experience all the best that God's creation ever had to offer before sin ever came along. In fact, if you read Genesis chapters 1 and 2 before the fall, and you read Revelation 21 and 22, so the, the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible, you will find some of the same imagery being used in both places, giving us a sense that the, the new heaven, the new earth is really very much in continuity with God's original heaven and earth, kind of like the Garden of Eden restored, recreated to its perfection before sin entered in and messed up the whole picture. The main difference is that where the Garden of Eden only accommodated Adam and Eve, now the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and new earth, is large enough to accommodate every believer who has ever lived for all time. For Christ's followers, then heaven will be here on a restored earth. You're not floating around in clouds, not strumming a harp. I've had some of you tell me that's the worst thing I can imagine is floating around strumming a harp. That's not the picture that God paints for us. It's a place we already know, earth a restored earth, an earth where there is no more sin to live forever with God himself in our midst as Adam and Eve experienced in the garden in Genesis chapter 2 before the fall where they walked with God and they were not ashamed. So, what does this mean? A key application. What difference does it make in the way I live C.S. Lewis said, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so effective in this one. I mean, if we truly believe that God has prepared an eternal home for us, then first, we can live with hope. We can live with hope today, each day, every day, regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of what's going on in the world around us, because those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ know how the story ends. We know where we're going. We know what's going to happen. We know that the, the, the few pictures that Scripture gives us are so wonderful. Paul says even it was so amazing that there aren't even words, human words to describe it. The promise, though, of heaven is no guarantee that we won't have hurts, adversity, and struggle here. Jesus experienced that himself. But what we experience 
here is not the final word. Many of you remember Steve McQueen, a great actor of an earlier time, and, and a lot of great movies and things like that, and played a, a, a tough guy a lot of times. And he was pretty tough, but he was as success, successful as he was in the movies, he was very unsuccessful in, in, in his life, became addicted uh, uh, to alcohol and, and uh, failed marriage and just really a, a hurting life. He actually um, went to a crusade by one of Billy Graham's uh, people and came to faith in Christ and had a meeting with Billy Graham and talked with him because he was struggling to find hope. And finally, one verse jumped out at him that Billy Graham was showing him, Titus chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And that made all the difference in the world to McQueen. In fact, he was found, he died in Mexico seeking alternative alternative treatments for his terminal cancer. But when they found him, his Bible was on his lap, open to Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 1, and his finger was resting on verse 2. He left this world with that promise on his heart. It's easy to forget when we hear of Churches being bombed, when we hear of people struggling, when we, in our own lives maybe, we have relationships falling apart, to remember that faith in Christ promises us eternal joy, to give you and me confidence today to face whatever life throws our way. Second, it it enables us to love with abandon. Because love is the only thing that lasts, it really lasts forever. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says the three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You know, what grades you made in school, what career choice you made, what kind of car you drive, all of those things fade away. They'll eventually be unimportant. But love lasts forever. Every time you and I then live out that love toward another, We are experiencing here and now a taste of heaven because this life is really just the preparation for eternity. And and right now, you and I may experience even greater adversity for loving others as Christ has loved us. The, The world does not get Christ. The world is opposed to Christ. There are people trying to kill Christians today. More Christians gave their life for their faith in the 20th century than the previous 19 centuries combined. And that pace has not diminished as we have moved into the 21st century. But those things do not last. Some aren't going to understand. Some don't feel they deserve it. Some are scared of it. But love is what lasts. So you and I can love with abandon. And finally, we can lead people to Jesus. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He tells us he is the way to heaven. He is the way to eternity with God. We don't, we don't have to scare people or argue with people or, or push them to heaven. We just need to lead them. We just need to tell our story. In fact, this is the ultimate way to love with abandon because we are demonstrating we love someone so much that we'll step out of what's comfortable for us, what's easy for us, what's convenient for us in order to help people come to know Jesus and be with him forever. That that is better by any stretch than hell. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us, us, this task of reconciling people to him. God was in Christ, reconciling the word to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you, beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then just ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. First of all, for some of you, this can be your invitation. Don't wait any longer. You don't know what's going to happen in the next week or day or hour or minutes. Secure your place with Christ forever. Make that decision today and, and come outside and be baptized. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to be out there. We've got some folks who have already signed up to be baptized but if God has put it on your heart today, that today is the day of salvation for you, you come out there and you join us and you start that journey to heaven today. You start standing for eternity because there's nothing in this world that can take that from you. Nothing. And for all of us, we're one week out from Easter, which is a time when a lot of folks who don't have a church home or haven't committed their lives to Christ are more open to attending church. Who is in your circle of friends? Who's in your family that, that God wants you to make his appeal through you, to whom you can be Christ's ambassadors? We, we've left a blank on the back of your sermon notes. It says, people I'm praying for. Who do you need to be praying for? I have several people that are already on my list 
that I'm praying for, that I've been praying for, for a couple of years now. And I'm continuing to pray for them and praying for others. I want to encourage you to write down some names of individuals you can pray over and see if God opens up circumstances, opens up the doors for you to invite them this week. Not everyone's going to say yes. And that's part of where we struggle. Because if everybody said yes, it would be easy for us to do it. Some people have said, you ask 10 people, five will say yes, and only one will show up. But one can make a difference. And some of you are here today, probably most of you are here today, because someone invited you. And Christ came into your life. And it's changed everything. It's changed your eternity. We have our Easter invitation cards. Pick up handfuls of them. I've been giving them out already this week. But this coming week is really the main time when people start thinking about it. And our women's ministry has made all these, these great little card gift things that make it easy for you to give it to somebody else. And they'll be out there. And there shouldn't be any left, guys. In fact, I don't mind if you take them all before the second service. Okay? Because we, we, this is so important. The Bible says the right time is now. And, and if the groom returns suddenly and folks aren't ready, Scripture says they'll miss out. You know, we began this, this journey of believe, and we said the journey of belief begins in our heads, but, but, but it's got to move figuratively 12 inches down to our heart to, to make a difference in our lives. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. We, we understand with our heads, but we believe with our hearts. To believe like Jesus, we have to act like Jesus by doing what Jesus did. He sought out the least, the last, the lost. He spent daily time with God. He lived each moment of his life in service to his heavenly Father. He didn't just wait for people to come to him. He went to them, and we're going to be like Jesus. Then we have to act like Jesus, not just coming to church on Sunday, but living for him throughout our days. And the beauty and power of living like Jesus through the power of his spirit is that his truths then are reinforced over and over in us. It does move from here to here. It does become part of us. It's why we're encouraging our groups and, and your individual reading. Keep going in the book. We only did 10 of the, we're not going to continue them in here, but we only did 10 of 30 chapters uh, and, and it's a great opportunity with DVD material that these groups can keep on going. We can't become like Jesus without acting as Jesus did. And this week is a great opportunity to live out a lot of those, those beliefs that we have been looking at in this series. God is a personal God. God cares about each one of us. He has compassion. He has adopted Christ's followers into his family and given us testimonies of his grace and love and eternity to manage, to steward, to share with others this good news. So, this week, be Christ's ambassadors. Be his hands, his feet, his voice. See where God leads you. Trust him. Don't trust the old ways. You are a new creation in Christ. But the old wants to hang on. But the old is going to be replaced. Start living like what it will be like in heaven now. Gracious God, I, just, I lift up this time for us. 
and pray that you will use us for your glory, that you will help those of us who need to make this the day of salvation, that you help us make that decision. And for those of us who, who need to take it a step further, push us out of our comfort zones, Father. Give us the opportunity to tell the good news. Help us be your ambassadors. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our prayer team will be down here. We're going to be doing baptism in just a minute. We invite you to stay and watch or come and be baptized. Uh, God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.